And just to let you know, I, I mentioned to uh, Joe, uh, the leadership team, um, uh, the worship team this morning, I'm sitting there listening to the songs that they chose. And almost every one of the songs they chose is to do with the message that I'm, I'm bringing this morning. I always think it's kind of cool when the Lord works those things out, even though we think it's unplanned. Um, but yeah, you can put up the, the first title there. The title this morning is, Who is Your God? So we're talking about God this morning. And we sang great worship songs about that this morning. And uh, what we're going to see, second uh, slide, what we're going to see this morning is um, we can only know God, who God is, to the extent that he reveals himself to us. And, this is very important, to the extent that we respond to that revelation. So we can only know God because he reveals himself, and then we are to then respond to that revelation. And it's that way that we'll grow in our understanding and knowledge of who God is. There's a young man who, who recently put his faith in Jesus Christ, his trust in Christ, the Savior. He was excited and he was exuberant and uh, he came across, met a friend. And uh, in his enthusiasm, he said, hey, I found Jesus. And his friend looks at him and said, I didn't know Jesus was lost. And so um, we often hear Christians say that. You know, I found the Lord, or I found Jesus, but who found who? Who did the finding? And I think you agree that it's actually God who finds us, rather than us who finds God. <clears throat> Emmanuel, that's one of his names, God with us. He is the one who came down to meet us, to reveal himself, to show us who he is. And if it hadn't been for that, we would not know who he is. We would not. So how does God reveal himself? <clears throat> well, there's two ways that God reveals that we can understand and how God has revealed himself. The first one is through creation. <clears throat> creation is the general, what we call the general revelation of, <clears throat> of uh, God as a creator. I don't know about you, but I like reading um, articles or watching programs where they talk about nature and science and the discoveries about space and about animals and, and scientific things. It, it's great. It's, it's fascinating the, the world that's out there around us that we don't know and they're discovering more and more about it. Um, I enjoy reading those articles. Unfortunately, they are all written in the context of evolution. And it's kind of discouraging reading that. But for me, when I read those articles and I would watch those programs, it convinces me more and more that we have a creator God. It is not just something that has happened. The creativity, the complexity of our world, the diversity, the interdependency of the different organisms and life and animals and plants and how it all works together right down to the things we, we don't even know that are there and still discovering reveal so much that there is a creator God. But creation gives us only a limited revelation of who God is. It points to a creator, but there's not a lot of details. And so our understanding of who God is, the kind of God he is, what he expects of us, and how we can approach him, comes through the revelation we have here in the scriptures. Because the scriptures, the Bible, is a collection of writings, God's writings, God's word, 
that describe how God, through personal contact, relationships with the men and women he created, reveals who he is. When you want to know somebody, you meet them, you have coffee, you invite them to your place, you talk to them, and as you interchange with them, as you develop a relationship, you get to know who that person is, right? Whether they're ornery, whether they're good to be with, uh, whether you're going to invite them back a second time, all those kind of things you learn as you go in a relationship with them. Well, the same with God. God has come down and in a relational context reveals who he is. So we're going to look at scripture to see how God describes himself. And here's the verse here. Text for this morning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Isn't that a great way, God, that we start the scriptures? That's, it's great. In the beginning, God. There you have it. <laughs> in the beginning, God. He's the one who created it all. Nothing else needs to be said. We don't know where he came from, how long he's been there. Uh, we don't have answers to that. God says, that's enough. I'm here. In the beginning, God created the earth, heavens and the earth. It starts with God. And it is through, in the scriptures that we, and through God's dealing or his relational, his relation with men and women that we discover who he is. One of the ways is through the names of God. In many cultures, when someone, uh, parents, uh, the family give a name to a child, or later on as an adult, the name is very important because it describes who the person is, it has special meaning about the person, about the events around his birth. Um, we don't do that very much, at least in my, my upbringing. We chose a name because we liked, we liked it. But cult some cultures, the name is very important because there's a meaning behind the name. Well, that's what we have in the scriptures. You know, there's many, many names for God in the scriptures. Next slide. <clears throat> Here's a few. I'm not, we're not going to look at all of them. Uh, this is just kind of to whet your appetite, and you can do studies on your own. There's great material online and books that you can do more studies and get a fuller, better understanding of the, the meanings behind these names. We don't have time to do all of that this morning. Yahweh or Jehovah. We're not too sure how it was pronounced because Jews back then did not write vowels. They didn't have, uh, sorry, yeah, they didn't have vowels. They only had consonants. So it was Y-V-W-H. And so it was Yahweh. We think it was Yahweh, something was Jehovah, but the, there's nobody from then here today to tell us how it was pronounced. And that's why you have the two versions, what we think it is. It means eternal one. Remember the story of Moses. He's in the desert, 40 years, and God comes to him and says, you want to go back? I want you to go back to Egypt and lead the people out of Egypt to the promised land. And Moses has all kinds of excuses. Why? Finally, he says, yeah, but if I show up and say, uh, God sent me, they're going to say, who's God? Who sent you? You know what his answer was? I am. I am sent you. Jehovah, Yahweh, I am. In the beginning, God, I am. 
Another word, Elohim, God the creator. Adonai, Lord, master. Often Adonai replaced Yahweh because Jewish people were afraid to pronounce the word Yahweh in vain, so they'd use Adonai a lot. Oh, I forgot to say, uh, the word Yahweh, Jehovah, is found over 6,500 times in the Old Testament. El Shaddai. We sing a song with El Shaddai, right? The Lord God Almighty. And then there's composition, uh, composed names where you take the name Jehovah and you put another adjective to it. And there's many more than this, but here's a few. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who's in when he went off to war. Jehovah Nissi, the Lord my banner. My banner is the one who is in when he went off to war. They're the ones who are up front waving the banner of the king or the country. They led the procession towards the they led the procession towards victory. So my banner is is a call to victory. Jehovah Mekadesh, the Lord who sanctifies. See, we're not sanctified in what we do, where we go, what we have, where we worship the Lord, whether it's what type of songs we sing or the actions we do. The Lord himself is the one who sanctifies us, who sets us apart. He is the one. He is our sanctifier. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. Jehovah Tzidkenu, the Lord who is our righteousness. Jehovah Rohi, the Lord, our shepherd. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. <clears throat> Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of the heavenly hosts, of the army, the heavenly in our army celeste, the heavenly hosts. Victory is in our Lord. Just some of the names that God, how God revealed himself in different contexts to different people to reveal who he is so that all of us, so that us today, we know who our God is. And he is the same. The attributes. An attribute is a word that describes the nature of God, his character. An attribute is not something God possesses like he possesses something. It is rather, it describes who he is his nature, and a few of them. There's so many, but here's a few. Omnipresent, present, means he is everywhere. Omni means all, everywhere. Omnipotent, he is all-powerful. Omniscient, he is all-knowing. He is eternal, unchanging. He is just, he is perfect, he is holy, he is righteous, he is love, he is good, he is faithful, he is merciful, and I'm sure you can add other ones that you know that are in the scripture. See, that's who our God is. In the beginning, God, there he is. That is the God who started it all for us. This past August, we had the privilege, Judy and I, to go see our, visit our son in Munich and his wife who lived there. They had their first grandchild, and it's our, it's our number seven, so I want to brag a little about grandchildren, so put up the next picture. So, um, hey, you got to brag once in a while, right? So she's only about two days old in the hospital, 
or a day old, the hospital, and the professional photographer goes through the hospital offering his services, and so are my son for his grandchild, you know, lots of pictures, and so um, sent us a, several of the pictures they took, and this is one of them, and as soon as I saw it, I said to Judy, there's the hand of God, there's the hand of God protecting, now it was his hand, my son's hand, <laughs> but the image of protection, uh, provision, security, love, safety, right there. I shared that with my son and asked him permission to use the picture because my son, at this point in his life, there's no place for God in his life. But I wanted him to know <laughs> that I saw in that picture with little Tessa, her name is Tessa, uh, his hand, the father, protecting and that's our Father, God. That's our Heavenly Father. That's who we worship. That's who revealed himself to us. His hand is over you. His hand is over you. We may not always see it. She didn't, she didn't know that. <laughs> She's too young to understand. But the hand is still there. The hand of God. On each of us. <clears throat> God did not, oh, they're gonna be coming at Christmas, so you, I get to see it. Um, God did not send a textbook, a kind of a manual, to say, here, this is what I'm like, and listed off in bullet form. God shows us who He is through personal relationship, one with another, with the men and women that He created. And that's how we come to know him personally. We often, uh, well, you know, talk about church buildings. We as Protestants and especially evangelicals will sometimes criticize Catholics for their big buildings, the cathedrals, and especially here in Quebec, every little village seems to have a monster of a building. And we talk, oh my, it costs a lot to build that, to maintain it, and all those kind of comments. But when you walk into one of those churches, into a cathedral, what is one of the first things you do? We look up, right? We're kind of in awe. We look up. That is why they're built that way. To remind individuals that there's someone greater than themselves. There's someone greater than you. Someone who's awesome, powerful, in control. And we lift our eyes up above our world that we are in to see and remember and recognize that there is an all-powerful, holy, majestic God that rules. And a lot of other things in there that I don't agree with, but that concept is behind the architecture. Evangelicals, when, when I walk into a church, you know what I look for? Maybe you do. Where's the best place I can sit so I can see what's going up front? <laughs> and I kind of lose that physical environment that reminds me that there is a God who reigns, who's on his throne. <clears throat> I'd like to read to you um, a text in Isaiah chapter 40. Really long text, so um, you can follow along. A little bit small, the printing, sorry about that. Isaiah chapter 40, if you have your script Bible there. There may be one in the front of the in the pew in front of you. 
The book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verses 12 through 15. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket, or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord, or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him, and who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him all the nations are as nothing. They compare God is worthless and less than nothing. With whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? As for an idol, a metal worker casts it and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A person too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. They look for a skilled worker to set up an idol that will not topple. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and his people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught, reduces the rulers of this world to nothing, No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither, and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal, says the Holy One? Who is your God? Who is your God? Who is the God that you worship? And how would you describe your God to others? What is the image that you have of God, he who in the beginning created the heavens and the earth? For a number of people, some people, or maybe most of us, our understanding of God is influenced by personal experiences or by those around us, our culture, our society. Next slide. For some people, God is a mean God. He's not very friendly. They live in fear that God will punish them every time they disobey. Every time they make a little mistake, they're afraid that the hammer of God is going to come down and get them. So their obedience to God is motivated by fear. Because we've got to please him, make him happy. Don't bother them, because maybe that's the way their heavenly father was. I'm sorry, their earthly father was when they grew up. And often, children and adults who have a bad 
experience or poor experience with their earthly father have a hard time understanding who their heavenly father is. For other people, God is there to just help them out. They're glad God is there. Because <laughs> he's there to lend a hand when they need it. Don't worry about that, says God. I'll take care of it. You got a problem? I'll fix it. They believe in God and know God is there, but he's just not too far away so that when they need him, they can call on him. But otherwise, they live their lives just the way they want, their way. But when things go wrong, things start to have problems or whatever, oh, turn to God. He's my answer. He's going to help out. You mess things up? I'll fix it for you. Other people, God is unpredictable. Some people find it very difficult to reconcile the justice of God or his righteousness and his holiness with the love of God. So God is holy. He is just. He punishes those who do wrong. Look in the Old Testament. And they do everything to please God. And if you don't, God will punish you. Hey, look at... Achan and his family in, Jericho, um, in Joshua chapter uh, 7. God leads the people into the promised land. And he says, they cross the river Jordan. And there's the whole promised land before him. And God said, it's all yours. It's all yours. Everything except Jericho. Everything that's in Jericho belongs to me. God says that. It's holy. Set apart. They're going through the rest. Achan... Achan, he comes in there with the army of the soldiers and he, they're going through the Jericho after it's been defeated and he, he comes into a room or whatever and there's some nice dishes. He knows his wife would sure like to have those dishes. Some nice clothes over here hanging up and boy, they, that look really nice. So he, he sneaks them back and expecting that once they get to some other town, he'll just pretend that he got them in these other towns and that way it'll work. God knows it's found out what happens. Achan, his wife, his children are all hauled out of the camp and stoned to death. Wow. New Testament, early church, Ananias Sapphira. The church is there, people are bringing money, their enthusiasm, they're selling property and selling things and bringing it for the, so the gospel could be shared with everybody. And, and some, a lot of people are, say, are bringing, they're selling something and bringing everything. And Ananias Sapphira, they have uh, some land, they sell it. And just to say, everybody else is giving everything. They, they say, yeah, we get, here's, here's the whole amount. But really, it was not the whole amount. They kept some in their pocket, which they could have done. They could have kept it all. But because they lied, what happened? Dead, both of them. God is a just holy God. Hebrews chapter 10. It's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And so you have that side. You have that aspect of God. And then you have God's love, his forgiveness, his grace, his goodness. He's gentle, he's kind. The same book, Hebrews chapter 4. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence 
so that, may we, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Isn't that great? We may approach the throne of grace. Jeremiah, the Old Testament, 31. I love you with an everlasting love. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. There's the love of God. There's the justice of God. How do you put those two together? Some people really struggle with that. And they say, oh no, the justice, striking Ananias, Sapphire dead and all that kind of stuff, no way. I'll believe in God who's loving and kind. You know, God, you know, no hell, no punishment. We all go to heaven. I like that. But how do you put them together? God, is he holy and just? Or is he love and kind? Is he unstable, unpredictable? Who is he? But you see, all of these attributes we saw earlier, all the names of God that reveal who he is, his characteristics, his nature, are in perfect harmony one with another. Because God is completely and wholly righteous and just, holy and good and loving and kind. Next slide. For you see, the righteousness of God manifests itself perfectly in the context of the perfect love of God. And the love of God manifests itself perfectly in the context of the perfect righteousness of God. Because God is whole. God is perfect. And maybe we have a challenge to understand all of that. But he has revealed himself that way. <laughs> He's revealed himself as a perfect God who's perfectly just and perfectly good <laughs> at the same time. So who is the God that you worship? A God who is mean, who helps you out just when you're in trouble? Unpredictable? Or is he the Lord God who is perfect in holiness and in love? Next slide. Our understanding of who God is not only depends on how God reveals himself, but depends on how we respond to that revelation. Because see, God reveals himself to everyone. But if you reject that revelation, if you don't believe it, if you don't take it seriously, your understanding of God won't go anywhere. To continue to grow in our understanding of God, we also need to respond positively, submit ourselves to that, accept it, and obey it. The book of James in the New Testament, near the end of the New Testament, is a small book. Very practical, not too much of theology. Uh, book of Romans and other Ephesians, there's a lot of theology, heavy stuff. James is practical, very, very practical in your Christian living. And what was going on in the church there, and James, the apostle, he had visited the church. Um, he saw that people were treating each other the same way they were treated out in society. Somebody had money, he's more important. Somebody was dressed well, high in position in power, authority, or the class, or whatever, government, they got better treatment. And they were doing that in the church. 
Somebody would walk in. Oh, my, that's somebody important. Well, you can have this place here. Or we're going to treat them special because they are someone special. They were doing the same in the church as what was happening outside. So James, in his book, addresses that. And he says, um, you have faith? You say you believe in God, but yet this is what you're doing. It doesn't connect. What you're doing doesn't line up with who God is. God is not a respecter of people. Everybody's equal before God. But you're creating differences. You're saying you believe in God, but yet you're not acting like you believe in God. And so what he does, he says, next slide. You believe that there's one God? Good. Demons believe also. He's actually making fun of them. You say you believe in God? You're no better than the demons. They believe there's a God, and they tremble. At least they tremble before God. And you're acting as though God does not exist, even though you're saying it, because your lifestyle in church does not reflect who God truly is. Next slide, John chapter 4. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. In spirit means with the heart. It's not determined by where we are, things we have, those kind of exteriors. It's in the heart. We worship God with our heart. And in truth, not my way, to do it correctly. The right way. Properly. Not my way. Not what you think or you think, but how God has revealed himself in scripture. That's how we're supposed to worship him. In accordance with what he says, not what I think. We're an evangelical church. Part of the Protestant traditions. And evangelical is very strong. Very strong in our belief and our preaching, and it's true, about a personal relationship with God, right? We say it's not a religion, it's a relationship. And that's true. I'm, I'm not knocking that down. <laughs> believe me, it's true. I believe it. We talk about Abba Father, right? Abba being a term that a child can say to his dad. So we can actually, in a way, have a relationship with a holy, just God, kind of like daddy, papa. We talk about Jesus being our friend. And so this relational, this relationship with God, are weak in our churches and it's very true it's very biblical where we are weak is in the awesome grander majestic understanding of who our God is the fear of God his holiness when you talk about the fear of God not an unhealthy fear where you you're you crouch in a corner you're crouching in a corner because you're afraid something is going to happen no the fear of God talks about reverence respect recognizing God for who he is, the God who created the heavens and the earth and continues to reign on that throne. He is the Holy One, the all-knowing one. He is true. And we need to approach him as Abba Father in that context. So who is the God that you worship? How do you describe him? See, the answer to that question is not just here Sunday morning. 
like I said earlier, the, the songs we sang, <laughs> they're, they're great. I was just amazed how, how the Lord put that together. Um, songs of, of worshiping him and the holiness of God and, and obedi- obedience to him. And it's easy for us here Sunday morning to sing those songs, to worship, express our worship rightfully so, and it's good. It's all good. But the real answer to that question, who is your God that you worship? You know where the real answer to that question is? This afternoon, tomorrow at work, when you're with your family, with coworkers, when you're with others, when you're all alone, that is where we really see who the God is that we worship. So does your life, does your life, not just Sunday morning, but does your life during the week reflect that you truly believe in all that God has revealed himself in the way that God has revealed himself? So next, our next slide, challenge for us, for you and me, not allow our personal experiences and the culture around us define who God is. Oh, there's all kinds of theories about who God is. What does Scripture say who God is? How does God say? What does God say about himself? Respond positively to the revelation that God has already given to us as revealed in Scripture. Respond positively to that. And thirdly, maintain a healthy balance between having a personal relationship with God a loving God, Abba, Father God, and worshiping the almighty creator who is holy and righteous. And that's a lifelong learning process. It is. That's the journey, and we can do it together. In the beginning, next slide, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let's take a few moments just for personal prayer, reflection, I've asked the worship team to come back, um, and they've accepted to do that, wasn't planned, to lead us in singing the song, You Are Worthy of My Praise, because I believe that song reflects very, very well uh, this truth. But as they're getting ready, and they just wait till, please just wait till we're ready, let's take a moment or two, personal prayer, reflection, uh, allowing the Holy Spirit to continue his work of teaching, of convicting us, That is not my words, it is his words, his truth. And I will close that part in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your. We thank you for who you are. 
the fact that you have revealed yourself to us and you continue to reveal yourself to us. Father, thank you for the scriptures where we can read about who you are and learn more about you. By your Holy Spirit, continue to teach us these truths about yourself and help us, Lord, respond positively to that revelation for your honor and glory. Amen.